0: Hi, I'm Dale Sherbeck, and welcome to The HQ, a CHA Learning and Healthcare Can podcast serial where we dive into healthcare issues and topics from the perspective of its people and discuss them with those that are leading in the health system. Together, we'll try to unpack these topics and learn what actions are being taken to innovatively solve them today. As a learning and development professional, I have long been aware that things like training and learning are often viewed as a luxury and a nice-to-have, especially during times of economic uncertainty. But in a time of crisis, much as we have been living in the past two years, the uptake of learning is a bit more nuanced. I certainly have my own data to inform my thinking, given that CHA learning itself is a training provider, and we've seen explosive growth in some areas like long-term care, not surprising, but others have slowed. One of those areas is quality improvement which is interesting to me because quality improvement seems like another way of saying learning, albeit learning from what we've done. Still, it's not hard to imagine that in a time of crisis, many organizations, and indeed many healthcare organizations, have also viewed quality improvement as a nice to have. After all, is getting better a priority when anyone is struggling to keep their head above water? And no, that's not a rhetorical question. Because if it isn't a priority, how do we in fact learn? I mean truly learn from this pandemic and all the richness of adaptation and change we've experienced. So today, that's what we'll explore and the role and importance of quality and innovation during the pandemic and coming out of it. I want to learn what it's like before 2020, what it's been like the past two years, and what does it look like as we contemplate a return to whatever version of normal that comes next. To discuss this, I'm very pleased to be joined by Samantha Hamilton, Samantha brings some very impressive experience and qualifications, including a Master's in Health Administration and a Certification in Risk Management. She's a certified professional in healthcare quality and also trained Lean Six Sigma Black Belt. At the Ottawa Hospital, she is a Director of Quality and Patient Safety in IPAC and leads major change initiatives and is the founder of the Ottawa Hospital Innovation Framework for Healthcare Quality Improvement. So committed is she to helping others grow in their knowledge of quality and patient safety. In her extra time, she has taken on faculty roles both here at CHA Learning in a few of our programs, and for the University of Ottawa's Telford Quality Improvement and Patient Safety Leadership Program. In sum, she is as passionate and knowledgeable about quality and safety as anyone I know, so I feel very fortunate to have her join us today on this topic. Hi, Samantha, and welcome to the HQ.
1: Hi Dale, thanks very much. That uh, that was a lovely introduction.
0: You're very welcome. So maybe in your own words, we could start the conversation today about you know what is quality improvement and what is its role in healthcare.
1: Yeah. So I mean, you know, quality improvement defined, and and we can give you the technical definition, but but really, what does it mean? It it means taking a systematic approach to making things better being able to demonstrate that we have indeed gone from a current state to, to a new state that is, in fact, in, indeed better. That really is, is what we mean when we talk about quality improvement. Um, and, and it does require really a systematic uh, method uh, for achieving that improvement, but it also requires a tremendous amount of leadership to be successful in achieving change.
0: So what is its role in healthcare specifically Sam?
1: So it's fundamental to healthcare but I, one of the challenges uh, one of the many challenges we see is that you know healthcare and healthcare delivery in Canada uh, which is probably not unlike other countries is so incredibly busy. And what we see more and more is just increasing uh, patient demand and volume and expectations um, without necessarily the the equivalent capacity to be able to meet that demand. So a, a lot of times we're really struggling to find the capacity to be able to uh, pause and to systematically make improvement happen, which is really, really unfortunate because healthcare, like any other sector, needs to continue to evolve, needs to continue to improve. Um, And in particular, healthcare itself does need a tremendous amount of improvement by sheer virtue of of the sector itself and many of the, the challenges that the sector faces. So it's actually quite a paradox we find ourselves in in healthcare, where it is so essential Yet, for so many reasons and so many factors, it, it is really challenging to be able to, to advance.
0: So I, I think, you know, reflect that during our COVID pandemic, you know, one of the things that's shown us is mostly the, the vulnerabilities and weaknesses that we've already, ex- you know, had throughout all parts of our lives and, and different systems. So based on what you've just said, I guess, would it be fair to say that the challenge of quality improvement isn't a new issue, but again, during our current pandemic, it has been somewhat exacerbated? Uh,
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, what what we have actually seen is a bit... uh, another paradox, actually. We've seen a large number of um, areas where you would hope improvement to have happened, but that has had to have been put on hold. Yet at the same time, we've seen a tremendous amount of improvements, rapid improvements and innovation that have been advanced throughout the pandemic because we absolutely needed to to make change happen right Mm -hmm. away to be able to just manage. So things like um, shifting to virtual care, um, introducing new mechanisms for infection prevention and control, uh, coaching, monitoring, and feedback, and assessments, um, the introduction of essential care partners for patients in a time where many of us had to implement zero visitor restriction policies. So these are some of the examples of, of rapid quality improvement or innovations that we had to quickly turn to, and and we did actually a phenomenal job at doing so, yet a, a great number of the more standardized improvement initiatives did unfortunately have to be put on hold. Things such as ongoing falls risk reduction efforts, those kinds of areas where we just perhaps didn't have the, the capacity and um, the space to be able to focus on that because we did have to shift to more rapid, um, how, do we, how do we deal and make sure that patients are being cared for uh, today? So it was, it was a very interesting and has been a very interesting paradox in uh, what, what did get put on hold versus what we were able to accomplish from an improvement and an innovation perspective
0: so certainly yeah some truth to the adage that you know necessity is the mother of invention so um, and it's certainly shown I guess our capacity to evolve and to change um so what do you think has been standing in the way of healthcare doing more of this in the past?
1: well you know certainly um there, there's lots of systemic factors externally to healthcare and then there's some factors internally so you know externally. Uh, I think it's fair to say, you know, as a sector, we're we're not necessarily um, incentivized to be able to mm-hmm. to to improve. You know, we're very much um, based on on patient volumes and delivery of those volumes on an annual basis. Maybe taking a look at um, the volumes in the previous year and allocating for that growth, but we're not really incented as a sector to be able to um, to achieve significant uh, performance improvements. Um, In in some ways too, uh, health system funding reform uh, has disadvantaged us where if you do perform uh, in a a heightened state, let's say improve your efficiency and your cost per weighted case, then what that does is it resets the baseline for you. Mm -hmm. So rather um, rather than receiving some additional funding to be able to reinvest into more improvements, you've just now uh reduced your baseline because you have become more efficient and this is your new normal.
0: Yeah, in a, in the private sector you would you would be uh incentivized both through I guess basic capitalism to sort of make more money by being uh, smarter or leaner um and or take the the savings that you've received and then reinvest them within your business. And healthcare is not really positioned like that, I guess is what you're saying.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So certainly funding. Uh, also, you know, the fact that we're we're on an annual basis. It's hard to be able to, you know, try to to strategically plan ahead. Um, we're also uh, required to to follow strict procurement rules, obviously, um, being a public uh, public um provider of care here in Canada, you know, that that makes sense for good reason. Um, mm-hmm. But what it does do is it tends tends to make um, healthcare organizations much more risk averse. And when we're risk averse, you know, we, we take more time, uh, putting more due diligence into the reviews. Um, in, you know, in essence, there it ends up taking us longer. Um, we're not necessarily as agile, as you would see elsewhere in, in other sectors. And then internally, you know, some of our biggest challenges, again, are the fact that it is such an incredibly fast paced environment. Um, people come in every day, and it's enough just to come in and do your daily job and to try to get through that in a day, let alone set aside even an hour throughout the course of the day to try and focus on making things better. So there's there's so many um, drivers that, that push against the healthcare actually making improvements that I think that those are the like really the main reasons why um, we tend not to see as much uh, focus on on healthcare improvement and innovation as as our sector really really does need.
0: Yeah I think uh, a previous guest I was talking to recently as well I mean the it, it speaks to the, the capacity for research and development, or in this case, quality improvement. Right. And again, in, in, a, in a private sector environment, a certain part of their, their budget we allocated towards giving capacity, right. For, for being innovative or trying new things. Um, and I think, again, what I'm hearing from you is that, that, that doesn't generally exist within a lot of our health systems.
1: Correct, and you know we've had to try to be be smart about what we can do and provide some incentivized uh, positions to be able to try and allocate a bit of time, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is great. It's tremendous, and then that actually has helped us. I think we're an organization that that does uh, invest a lot of time and effort into making improvement happen, and certainly that is in line with our values. Folks that um, that work and practice at the Ottawa Hospital are very vested. In, in healthcare quality and safety and, and come here to work because they want to make things better for our patients. But, but there are all kinds of, uh, again, all kinds of, of different factors and barriers that, that make it um, harder to push that ball uphill rather than to come in every day and, and simply, simply roll with it. And, um, and so that's what you tend to see.
0: So you you touched on a little bit at the beginning, but when we look at the last couple of years, um, you know, what has been the impact of COVID, um, on innovation and quality improvement, um, within the health systems that you've seen?
1: So, um, certainly, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, some, some amount of, of initiatives that were planned, uh did have to be put on hold. Um, you know, they didn't necessarily intend to get put on hold, but as as 2020 played out, you know, many of us thought that um, perhaps this would be a three or six month uh, period. Uh, and as we went through the year, we realized that, um, certain things just had to continue to be put on hold. Uh, but that is where we did see, as I mentioned, some rapid improvements and innovations happen, both trying to um, take a look at some new technology to help us with regards to even hand hygiene, some really exciting work done there, um, better use of our of our existing tools that we had in-house in terms of using uh, uh, applications, building our own applications, and building interactive dashboards to display real-time safety data around um, personal protective equipment. Uh, and then certainly the, the introduction of these essential care partners has been a, a massive patient safety uh, improvement that, that's actually, it, it has been introduced as a result of the pandemic. So, um, and then um not not in the slightest at all in terms of impact has been this massive shift to virtual care, uh, which, you know, there are risks associated with that when we try and take a look and, and mm-hmm. see uh, is a virtual care visit the proper method for a particular patient visit uh, or is it um, is it safer and better to have the patient come in. Uh, but for those that can have their appointments virtually, I mean, the, the impact for for the providers and also for the patients is really outstanding. You don't have to come on site and struggle to find parking and sit in a crowded waiting room. You know, you can do that in the comfort of your home. Um, so, that lots, lots of enhancements that we've seen as a result of the pandemic. Where now, uh, hopefully, as we are coming out of it, um, we're going to turn our attention to how do we sustain some of these amazing innovations that uh, that we had to rapidly pivot and put in place.
0: It's inspiring. And we can talk more about some of those, but just, I guess the other flip side, and you sort of did talk about that a little bit at the beginning and and appreciate this is, you know, it's a sensitive topic and I I don't want you to sort of have to say something you're not comfortable with. I know nobody's ever really comfortable sort of airing their laundry. Um, But So you've talked about things like the fall prevention sort of programs or initiatives that were put on hold, and I suspect uh, there's a backlog of other um, QI initiatives that have been had to be put on hold and that, that I mean, they're contemplated for a reason. Um, So what has been the impact of having to put them on hold in the backlog and where do you sit now?
1: so those those initiatives we're now turning our attention to bringing them back they're they're back on our priority list for this year with the hope that that 2022 will be the year that we can get back into more of a regular normal routine. Um, but that's not to say, of course, that when we've had these particular types of incidents that have happened over the past couple of years, that we haven't, um, continued to investigate each one of these incidents mm-hmm. and, and identify immediate actions that were taken. It's more around the ongoing aggregate, uh, systemic quality improvement initiatives that, um, that we did have to uh, have had to put on hold uh, until uh, we have the, the time and space and capacity to, uh, to prioritize those.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I can imagine it it would feel frustrating or in terms of emotionally challenging at some times to see that you have these opportunities or these big plans to make change and, and improvements and you've had to sort of sit on them for a little bit.
1: Uh, yes, yes and no, but, you know, as part of our role, um, what we've managed to do, uh, On an annual basis, even in the past two years, we've still done the exercise of doing an annual quality and safety plan. You know, in the province of Ontario, that's a mandated requirement. Uh, It has been uh, put on hold over the past couple of years as being an essential requirement. But, But we've been an organization that we've continued to do that. And we've continued to look at what we've accomplished in the past year. And we do that on a a March to April cycle. So I just had the opportunity to to present to to our board recently, and we took a look at what we had hoped to accomplish last year and what Mm -hmm. we actually did accomplish. And uh, what's amazing is that every single one of those initiatives we have advanced in some way. Some initiatives, as I mentioned, uh, we certainly didn't make as big of strides as we would have hoped, and so they're back on the plan for this year. But um, surprisingly, amazingly, every single one of those did make uh, did make some advancement. And I, you know, I, I think as the waves of this pandemic have gone on, uh, when we're out of the height of the waves, we've taken the opportunity to immediately um, pick up where we left off and, mm-hmm. and regroup, and then also, you know, use the momentum of those waves to help maybe give us a push. Or remove some of those uh, barriers that that might have got in the way um, during non-pandemic years. So we we really tried to capitalize as as best we can on on the emphasis and the need to move, um, and just even I think we're bolstered by by what we have been able to do in the past two years we've come through. So uh, I think that's given us a lot more confidence to be able to say, you know what, we can we can tackle this, this big initiative. Let, let's mm-hmm. see what we can do here.
0: It's, it's a that's amazing dedication. I think when many people would just sort of want to take a break um, after coming through one of those, but it, it's also sort of reminds me a little bit of almost that you're turning some of these, uh, these cycles, I guess, and, and the waves as we see them in terms of our public health, almost into an agile sort of approach to learning through each of these waves. I mean, is that right? Or,
1: yeah, I think that's a, that is a fair way, uh, you know, of, of kind of um, reflecting on how it has been. Certainly, some of our areas have been more disproportionately affected than others. Um, so with surgeries um, and, uh, and planned visits, those are the areas where um, healthcare government has been able to, to, to put a slowdown on. Uh, in order to free up capacity in, in the healthcare system to be able to deal with, with COVID positive patients, um, so they're a group that um, obviously patients that that have been waiting and have been their have had their procedures postponed. I mean that's a that's a tremendous toll and a tremendous impact, and and really there is no uh, that there is no compensation in terms of. Of a solution uh, for that, but what that has done in terms of healthcare delivery is the surgical programs and the ambulatory care, the planned visits are disproportionately affected because as we come out of these heightened waves, they then need to fit those back in. So how do they quickly ramp back up to well over a hundred percent in terms of capacity uh, to be able to to continue to not only meet the current demand but try and fill in patients that have had to wait unfortunately so some areas have been disproportionately affected and therefore those groups have been unable to to take on as much improvement uh, as as we would have hoped and so we we just have to we have to recognize that and we have to focus on the areas that that are able uh, to pick up and move forward
0: I know risk isn't inherently the same as quality improvement, or, or the opposite of it. But, but I think even as you're describing what you're um, this period of potentially of rap, ramping things up again. I mean, do you see risks involved in going from like zero or you know twenty percent or fifty percent or whatever the capacity limits have been to now pushing our systems and our people to that sort of level to try and catch up again?
1: Yes that that is uh, absolutely uh, what does happen right um so when when you're used to doing x number of procedures or cases per day or seeing patients per day and you're really trying to fit in uh, more patients or really expand that uh, that kind of work day absolutely you know those are the areas we're concerned about that we want to make sure that the safety checks continue to be in place and folks are folks are um Still adhering to those safety checks, like there's a real balance, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to meet the this demand, um, and and trying to continue to do things as safely as as we know we need to do. But that's, you know, that then that cuts right down to uh, to values, right? And yeah. and organizations that um, know first and foremost that safety is a top priority and it won't be compromised. But it's it is a tremendous amount of um, of strain. And the periods of the waves, you know, they, they have come at different times of the year. Um, so with the first wave in 2020, uh, we came, we came out of the wave in the beginning of the, the summertime. So mm-hmm. it was the summertime where we worked very hard to fit patients back in. So that was an impact on overall healthcare providers and their, their personal lives, where instead of having um you know, summer vacation schedules as per normal. We were we were trying to work around the clock to make sure that we got all these patients um, fitted back in where they could get the health care that they they absolutely needed to have. So um, that those are the trade offs. But that's you know that's that's what we're here to do in terms of healthcare delivery. That's our job. So um, you know that that's what we're here to do, and folks are folks are pleased to be able to do that. But it, it absolutely has had a, has had a toll for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, I can hear it. So some one of the other things you were talking about um, a few minutes ago was around, I mean, you just, you talked about reporting to your board and, and, and the fact that you do have to still meet with some of your measurements and things like that. So just curious, how do you, continue to measure or report on quality of care during a crisis when things aren't normal?
1: Yeah, we, you know, we, that's some of the, an example of some of the amazing improvements we made in pretty short order. Um, We, we do have access to some pretty awesome uh, tools and, we were able to quickly adapt and to be able to, uh, with the help of our analytics team and certainly our ISIT team, be able to pull out data that um, that we needed internally. And also, uh, folks might not be aware, but there was there's been a tremendous amount of external reporting um, at the provincial level that we've had to do on a daily basis. Uh, so we, we've really been able to, to do some amazing work in terms of heightened data and reporting and dashboards um, So uh, I th- those actually uh, are an example of some of the innovations uh, we've done but what that's required right is those folks prioritizing that those efforts over other efforts so that's that's an example of of how we've been able to do that but, um, It's impressive uh, the kinds of data we've been able to pull out and and access uh, and be able to look at the past two years in terms of um, what's gone on in terms of various different kinds of of metrics.
0: Um, Just as an example, like what are you seeing or...
1: Well, you know, we're able to see, we're able to look back. One of the, the key metrics for us is being able to look back over the past seven days and seeing what are we seeing in terms of COVID admissions? What are we seeing in terms of, of the types of COVID admissions? Why p- patients are being admitted? Are they going to ICU? What are we seeing in terms of, of uh, our staff and physician cases? Uh, so really taking a look at, at different, um, even capacity, where are these patients going, um, it's really more around service volumes but being mm-hmm. able to to have access to real-time information to be able to say looks like we're starting to trend up here or it looks very quickly like we we've now hit our peak and and we're now we've rounded the corner um, so that's uh, that it's that's been very powerful in terms of having that access to that real-time information and then you know what we also did we we had, um, we had safety huddles in place across all of our different units, um, but what we did in the pandemic is we shifted to having these these tiers of huddles, so different tiers at different uh, management levels, and we were sharing key information using these key metrics across the different levels in the organization, so um, We were able to all keep on top and and know where the the risks were and exactly where we were sitting as an organization, what our staffing levels were, what our occupancy levels were, um, what our ED level, our emergency department uh, levels were. Uh, It was really, really amazing to get folks to to be aware of what is the current situation we're looking at today at each of our campuses and where do we need to focus as a team.
0: So... Has the pressure to innovate and and improve changed pre pandemic to today? I, I'm not I, I can't probably say post pandemic, but certainly um, hoping that this is certainly the the end of the worst. Has it changed at all?
1: Uh, well, I I don't think we've seen a, a change quite yet. We're we're still um, we're still just coming out of. Um, what is wave five for us? The, the Omicron wave. Um, so it's, it, you know, just we're, it's very early days. We've actually seen that wave subside. Um, so we're still we're still riding high on some amazing innovations and improvements that we've put in place. And, you know, even just earlier today, we we're talking about how do we continue to sustain our uh, essential care partner program what's that going to look like as now we hopefully shift back into normal uh, visitor policies and, and family presence policies what, what does this mean now for this really um, key partner for our patients when when they're with us uh, under our care
0: can you tell me a little bit more about that your program
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and this really was a program that we implemented at the start of the pandemic, you know, uh, what we call an ECP, an essential uh, care partner to a patient. This didn't exist before the pandemic um, and that's not unlike other hospitals. Uh, so we we implemented this fairly early on because uh, hospitals, we many of us, we had to move to um, zero visitors because we didn't want to introduce the mm-hmm. opportunity of bringing the virus into the hospital, um, nor did we want to contribute to any spread. Uh, but what we realized is that for many of our patients, Uh, they need their loved one or key partner there with them to help them uh, throughout their stay with us. And, you know, sometimes that's emotional support, but sometimes that's even uh, actual clinical health support where your essential care partner is is helping you mobilize um, throughout the day, um, those are actually key aspects to help improve your, your stay um, and to help ensure that, um, that you don't actually uh, decondition or, or take a step back in terms of um, your baseline health status. Um, So what we did is is we worked to to, enable a process where patients could identify who their essential care provider was, care partner was. We also put in place um, a mini education program so Mm -hmm. that the essential care partner would be educated on basic uh, infection control practices, make sure they understood the necessary personal protective equipment, how to... um, wash their hands, uh, how to don a mask safely, how to take that mask off or doff that mask. Um, those are the aspects that we put in place for um, for controls to help ensure patient and uh, safety of the essential care partners and also safety of our staff. So we weren't, again, as I say, introducing risk into our environment uh, across, um, across our staff.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And I suspect as a as a uh, I guess perhaps I don't know intended or unintended sort of consequence of that that those essential care partners would perhaps support the the patients in their discharge even perhaps and you know have an impact on readmission or other kinds of um unintended sort of uh consequences or
1: exactly so we can see this show up in terms of um uh, length of stay, we can, so hopefully a, a safe and as early as possible discharge, uh, we can see it in terms of patient uh, condition uh, and, and their ability to return back to baseline. Uh, we can certainly see it in terms of patient satisfaction mm-hmm. and and, all, and um, a proportion of our patients are surveyed um, after discharge to understand how their visit was. Uh, so certainly that that would impact uh, those those aspects specifically, but also helps around patient falls. Um, mm-hmm. So having your essential care partner with you, um, helping to perhaps take you for a walk down the hall, um, help keeps you, you mobile, um, help keeps keeps you moving. Um, so it, it can also help in, in those areas as well. And for your well-being, right, your emotional healthy well-being. It's hard to come into hospital and be isolated, especially during a time of COVID where we're trying to isolate as much as possible to try to minimize transmission.
0: Yeah, it's hard. But it's, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting program and and would be very interested to sort of hear more from you another time in terms of uh, the longer term sort of uh, data, I guess, results of that and, and, and how you intend to sort of utilize that uh, in our new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the things that we can do, I guess, Sam, to help sustain or promote innovation and improvement sort of ongoing out of this?
1: Yeah, so definitely, you know, I think we do need to make sure that we are using Uh, a framework to be able to assess baseline, to be able to more systematically, you know, put the right amount of due diligence into our our change initiative efforts uh, and to be able to sustain those improvements. So making sure that we are using uh, a framework to help us continue to advance improvements and sustain and share learnings from improvements. Um, but I, I think one of the best things we can take away from this is uh, is the fact um, that the, the things we have been able to do in, in kind of rapid order, um, even, you know, working with other, other sectors, working with um, uh, our public health partners as much as we did, working with long-term care, working with retirement homes. Uh, you know, there was a tremendous amount of work that was done with, with different sectors of healthcare delivery, uh, and healthcare, uh, that we all came together and, you know, the barriers, uh, that, that normally existed by sheer virtue of the fact that we're different institutions. We have different, um, different structures, different funding, um, different overseers, you know, those walls were all, they all came down and everybody just leaned in to be able to say, what if we did this? And, Mm -hmm. um, and and we were able to do some amazing things. Uh, and I think people I uh, feel very passionate and very strongly about what we were able to do. And many of us are saying we have to continue to keep doing this. How do we continue to 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 do some of them continue on the amazing things we've done and to keep some of these uh, partnerships going that that have grown out of the pandemic. Um, so definitely, you know, a systematic approach through some sort of framework, but also really this, uh, this collective will that we have generated um, amongst the different providers, I think, are, are what will help us to uh, to sustain and to move beyond this in a positive way.
0: Yeah, it is, a, it is a powerful lesson. I think that the pandemic has taught us in both our personal lives and, and in terms of what you've just described about the importance for collaboration and connectivity um, and I, I do hope that we are able to sort of learn and sustain that going forward. I mean, that's what the whole integrated approach should be, right?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, to bring us back to where we started, uh, the the pressures uh, are always there, right? To, to bring us back to our status quo, uh, to make it harder to, to fight that status quo. So now is a, a key time to capitalize on... on uh, you know, being able to do um, amazing things, um, in extraordinary times.
0: Well, thank you very much. So just maybe in closing and, and last word to you, Sam, a key message to other healthcare providers working in our healthcare system in terms of what they can do and and how to take this forward.
1: Yeah. You know, I think my strongest message, and and it's always my, my message in the, the quality improvement realm, um, Many of our folks, um, healthcare providers will say, well, you know, I'm a physician or I'm a nurse and uh, my job is this, my job is, is not improvement, but uh, it really is it, is, it needs to be everybody's job, uh, some amount of their day to be able to make improvement happen. Uh, It can't be administrators, it can't be people on the outside, it needs to be those folks that are working with patients, working with each other, delivering the care, and the reason being is they're the folks that see every day the problems and how they show up and the impact to their patients. So they're the folks that understand the most about the problems the the areas that need the most attention, what matters the most, and they're also the folks that can stand to benefit from the improvements most. They will see the benefits of those improvements. So, if not our healthcare providers, who else is better positioned to make improvement happen? So, my my uh, my final message would be a call out to all those healthcare providers that. Um, quality improvement is, is an essential job that we need you to do. Uh, you can make a difference, and, uh, and, and we need you to make that difference.
0: That's uh, a, a great closing message. Thank you very much. Um, and I hope those that are listening can hear the passion and commitment that you've shared today. Um, kudos to yourself and the Ottawa Hospital for all the great work that you've done over the years. Um, and thank you very much for sharing your experience and helping others to learn and grow forward. So I really appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. You've been listening to The HQ, and I'm Dale Sherback, your host. You can find this and other future episodes on the CHA Learning website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think, so please follow us on our other social media channels. Thanks for joining us in this discussion today. Please join us next time.